This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Oh my God, chills. What happened? Oh my God. Oh, I just can't. What? Hey everyone. <laughs> Rach here, Rev, Rev here. If you're if you're watching on YouTube, I've turned my lights off. See, I have castor oil over all over my face and neck so i'm oh, not doing oh. the lights thing because they'll just radiate that shine i was wondering why your face looks so dark your lights aren't on that makes sense um we're both wearing similar ish sweaters we didn't mean to different colors same style we both got them at the same time and the second i saw rebecca wearing it i was like i almost put that on because they came yesterday whatever it's fine um hey real quick at the top i just wanted to note that I have never had so many story responses on Instagram as we did with the pictures of my daughter's hair. And I got to say, <laughs> I appreciate y'all's story. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I, Rachel, came home from uh, a weekend away where my father-in-law was watching both my kids and me and my husband walked in to see that they'd cut each other's hair. And I'm not kidding, not like... Everyone's like, oh, my daughter cut her bangs once. I'm like, no, 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 no. Rebecca did that when we were two. Yeah, I get that. He obliterated her cute little bob. It, it's, <laughs> it was hilarious. Hilarious. I don't know how long they were unsupervised, but far too long because they cut all of it off. It's going to take a solid, what, year, year and a half for it to... It is so sad because <laughs> the holidays are coming up. We have not done our Christmas cards yet. I got the cutest outfits for Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's going to be hilarious. This is going to be a memory to remember. I mean, that's going to be great. I know. You're going to want to time capsule this. It is. I mean, I have. I've got never taken so many pictures and videos of her because I was like, holy shit. Those pictures are going to be the best looking back on. It's going to be hilarious. <sighs> Forget it. Forget it. I know, but there's only so many years I'm in complete control over haircut. How many years am I going to get to do a bob as short as I want? So cute. Well, with this newest, it's going to be a few more years before you're able to give that girl a haircut again. I know. It's <laughs> awful. But so many people are like, did you cry? And I was like, shockingly, no, because it's all about perspective with how long they must have been unattended. I'm like, I'm glad they weren't drinking bleach. I don't, <laughs> I'm glad they weren't stabbing with knives. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I guess this is best case scenario. Sure. You could look at it that way. Uh, you have to, yeah. but thanks for y'all <laughs> for y'all's support. Hilarious support during this difficult time in Rachel's daughter's life. Hey, Thank um, you. me rep here. Apologies to new patrons last week. I forgot to shout y'all out. Just completely slipped through the cracks. So Rachel's yep. got you this week. Go I on. I got you. I got you. Kimberly, Jill, Karen, Destiny, Ray, Corinne, Carla, Veronica, Jamie Lynn, 
Casey, Exploded Cupcakes, that's the name on it. I don't know. April, Gabby, Becca, Erica, and Unboxings with Kim. We got two company names. Yeah, that's I wonder Great. Maybe they'll sponsor us. <laughs> Listen, I love, yeah, that's a good idea, actually. A loophole to the custom shout out. I just that custom really shout out two businesses. Good. I love that. Smart thinking. Okay. I have two custom shout outs. Speaking of which, first one is from Ray. One of my shout out to be for Donate Life. Organ tissue and eye donations save thousands of lives every year. And I encourage everyone to go online and register as a donor at donatelife.org. That's there a good go. shout. Yeah. Um, and it reminded me that our mom died in 2020. And was it last Christmas? We got, my dad got a letter saying that they used her eyes. What? <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? Remember, he told no. us that in Google. So nope. it was 21, 2021. <laughs> Remember, I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> that's cool. Oh my God, that freaks me out. You remember that? No. Okay. okay. Well, who has them? Oh my God, I can't even. Oh no, what if we met them? Oh God. God. Oh God, let's move on. Next. What else okay. do we have? Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. But anyway, donate life. <laughs> anyway, that's great. It is great. It is good. You should. That's a really good shout, Ray. And then the next one is from Jill. Shout out to all of my true crime loving coworkers at the Madison County Library System in Madison, Mississippi. Hey, yeah. We've had a hell of a few years and you have all fought so hard for our communities and it shows. I'm so unbelievably proud of you. P.S. Don't ban books. P.P.S. Hail State. Girl, mm. hail no. <laughs> oh, stop. Hotty toddy. Hotty toddy. Hell states, Mississippi states thing. We went to Ole Miss. We're rivals. That's how it works. Thank you, Jill. And thank you, Madison County Library System in yeah. Madison, Mississippi. I will be in Madison, Mississippi for Thanksgiving. See y'all there. Oh, you will? Oh, my God. When this is airing. Hey, y'all, I'm in Madison right now. You are? Yeah. Oh. Jack okay. It's Jackson. Oh, okay. Let's get into this. I, Rachel, am telling Rebecca and all of y'all about the pillow pyro. Whew. Sources, the lineup, an excerpt from the book, Fire Lover, the podcast case file, three articles from the LA Times, uh, New York Daily News and crimestory.com. On October 10th, 1984, Billy and Ada Deal took their two-year-old grandson, Matthew, to Ollie's Home Center in Pasadena, California. Ollie's was a chain of huge like Home Depot type stores throughout uh, Colorado, California and Arizona. It was around 7.30 p.m., so the store was pretty empty. They were about to close. So Billy went to grab something from the lumber department, and Ada took Matthew to get something from the paint department. Around 8 p.m., an employee named Jim walked to the front of the store and saw a ton of dark smoke going all the way up to the ceiling. He was in shock, but there were no flames, so he was like, shit, let's get everyone out. But he wasn't panicking. Mm -hmm. He ran to look for customers to tell him to to get out and he told Caroline Krause, one of his employees, to clear out everyone in her section. He came across Ada pushing Matthew in, in the cart and told her not to be alarmed, but everyone needed to get out of the store. She didn't really have a sense of urgency either. She even like threw something in the cart and started pushing and he turned around and was like, no, leave the cart, grab the kid, we're out of here. Yeah. So he turned to walk back towards the front of the store, assuming she followed him. 
And when he got to the front of the store, the black smoke was now a wall of fire. Oh, shit. Even worse, he looked at the exit door and it was now closed and the fireproof steel door had dropped down. <gasps> I'm getting claustrophobic. Oh, my God. I knew that fear of being trapped in a fire obviously is a huge fear. But his recount of this, I'm like, I'm getting short of breath. Right. And I'm not even done. That's when he realized Ada and Matthew were not behind him. So he went to look for him and immediately heard a bunch of popping noises and the lights went out. Yep. Now it's dark. Yeah. The store is so big that Billy Deal, Ada's husband and Matthew's grand granddad, didn't even realize what was going on. Apparently there were announcements over the intercom, but it was very hard to understand. Mm -hmm. He even started dinging the bell for service in the lumber section. And then he heard someone yell fire and he looked around and still didn't see anything, but he ran to the center of the store to see where Ada and uh, Matthew were. And that's when he saw the huge flames and smoke. Oof. He started screaming for Ada, but the smoke was getting to be really bad. And he could see that fire trucks were starting to come. So the entrance door was still open. So he ran out just hoping to God that they were out there. Yeah. Meanwhile, the employee Jim, remember there was another fire exit, but by now the fire is insane and the lights are out. So he, he just has to remember how to get there. Oh God. He held his breath and got as low as possible and just started crawling. He started giving up and passing out when he looked up and saw he was only a few feet from the emergency exit. Thank God. So he gets out, but said he felt like he was still in there because the second and third degree burns were so bad. Oh, yikes. It took less than five minutes for the entire store to be engulfed in flames. Ultimately, it resulted in flashover, which is if you Google it, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's Essentially, when a bunch of combustible materials catch on fire, they start releasing gas and it just makes the fire spread uh, insanely quickly. And mm -hmm. it's insanely hot. Like the whole, the, uh, when you look up at the ceiling, it's uh, all yeah. fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you Googled it, you would know. Yeah. Usually if it gets to that point, no one survives. Oh, God. <laughs> so if you can imagine a store like that, has a ton of combustible material. It's like wood, straw, cooking gas, oils, everything. Yeah. So it was bad. It took 32 fire companies and 125 firefighters to fight the fire, and they fought it for hours. I read in one place that it took eight hours. I don't know if it's true, but it took a long time. That is a school day. I mean, that is flying to Amsterdam. A work day, 125 firefighters. Son of a bitch. People who lived in, in nearby apartment complexes had to evacuate. Like, it was oh, so bad. Mm -hmm. Sadly, Matthew and Ada did not make it out, oh. nor did two employees. A 26-year-old mother of two, Caroline Krause, the one that Jim said, clear section. Mm -hmm. A 17-year-old, Jimmy Satina. What about Matthew's grandfather? He made it out. Okay. So sad. This day was a busy one for Pasadena firefighters because only a few hours earlier, they responded to a fire at Albertson's Market, which is only seven miles away from Ole's. Mm. During the Ole's fire, they got a call about yet another fire at another nearby market called Vaughn's Market. Oh my God, markets everywhere are just engulfed in flames. Yeah, those weren't as bad. So uh, both Albertson's and Vaughn's Markets were determined to be started on purpose and originated at a rack stacked with potato chips. The oil on the chips make it very combustible. <sighs> and get, I know, 
And given that it was the middle of the day and customers were in there, they were like, this was arson for sure. Yeah. Luckily, those fires weren't as big or tragic as the one at Ole's, but sus. Yeah. Jeff Palmer of the arson explosive departments at the L.A. Sheriff's Office was assigned to the investigation at Ole's Home Center. This episode brought to you by Progressive. Whether you're driving, cooking, or doing laundry, Progressive knows the podcasts you listen to go best when they're bundled with another activity, much like how their Progressive home and auto policies go best when they're bundled. Having these two policies together makes taking care of your insurance easier and could help you save, too. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save over $775 on average. That's a whole lot of savings and protection for your favorite podcast listening activities, like going on a road trip, cooking dinner, and even hitting the home gym. Yep, your home and your car are even easier to protect when you bundle your insurance together. Find your perfect combo. Get a home and car insurance quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $779 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Not available in all states. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash westwood1. All lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash westwood1 now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash westwood1. After just 90 minutes of talking to witnesses and investigating the scene, he determined that it was started because of faulty electrical wires in the attic and that it was just a big tragic accident. Just talking to people? And like walking around the scene. Oh, yeah. Okay. After just an hour and a half, though. Mm. After hearing this ruling, a very well-respected arson investigator named John Orr thought Jeff didn't spend enough time on it, and he did his own seven-hour investigation. I was about to say, you should spend as much time investigating at least as much time as it took to put out the fire. That's eight hours. hours. Come on. Four, Four people died. Right. So John Orr was like, no way. This was set on purpose. And he told Jeff he was confident it was not an accident. It was a serial arsonist, especially given the two other fires at nearby markets. And ultimately, though, Jeff was it was Jeff's call. He was assigned the investigation. So he closed it as an electrical fire. You see, the reason John was so adamant that it was not an accident is because these three fires were among an estimated 2000 fires across central and southern California in the 1980s and early 90s. This was all by an arsonist who became known as the Pillow Pyro. I'm going to go through all 2000 right now. God, the most boring episode in the history of people are the worst. You know, if you would think that, but I, it is, it's uh, fascinated me. We'll talk about it at the end, but if arson's not your thing, you just wait. <laughs> it will be after this. You'll love it after this. 
So rewind a couple of years earlier, in the early 80s, when the fire spree started, the police department in Glendale, which is a suburb of LA, handled all arson cases. But because of the huge increase, the Glendale Fire Department decided to develop a specialized arson investigation unit and appoint a full-time arson investigator. Most of the Glendale firefighters were not interested in this position, even though it'd be a huge promotion. They felt like it was police work. So they're like, not, no thanks. One firefighter though was up for the challenge. His name was John Orr, who I mentioned, who did his own investigation at Oli's. He was born and raised in LA and joined the Air Force in 1967. He was honorably discharged in 1971 and moved back to LA. His lifelong dream was to be a cop with the LAPD, but he failed the entrance exam. So even though he wanted to be in law enforcement, he realized that he'd be happy in any position in emer emergency services. So he applied for the LA Fire Department, but was also rejected there. Oh, man. I know. Ultimately, he ended up accepting a job with the Glendale Fire Department, which at the time was the lowest paying in LA County. So he also waits. <laughs> it's a bummer. <laughs> no, it just reminds me of a guy I knew who went to medical school or tried to take them like 17 times and just kept failing. He eventually got into med school and then I'm like, it's just not meant to be, bro. Who was it? So, but he wanted to be like a surgeon. I'm like, I don't trust you to look at my teeth. Oh, he persevered. Well, no, I'm like, is he a doctor? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, so he accepted a job in, at the Glendale Fire Department. It was the lowest paying in LA County. So he also got a part-time job as a security guard at Sears and at the same time studied fire science at a local college. Hmm. A lot on his plate. Yeah. And by now he's like married with a kid, possibly two at this point. Oh God. But by his early thirties, he became a very respected firefighter and rose through the ranks. He always made a point to offer his help at the scene in Glendale, even if he wasn't on duty. And because of his dedication, he became fire captain. Oh. Yeah. He was really good at finding the points of origin with the fires. And at one of the very early fires that was suspected to be the works of the Pillow Pyro, he found the incendiary device. This I don't is, know what that is. I know. Well, I'll just, the context will help you. Okay. Okay. He found an incendiary device made up of a cigarette with three matches attached by a rubber band. Uh, they determined the cigarette is served to be like a 10 minute time delay allowing the arsonist to light it and get out before it burned all the way down. Mm. None of the other investigators or firefighters could find the origin. So with this discovery, he was named arson investigator and reported directly to, to the head of the fire prevention bureau. Okay. The pillow pyro earned his name because most of these fires were started in fabric stores or home stores that were open with people in them and using that incendiary device, the, the cigarette, three matches attached by a rubber band. Sometimes it would have a yellow like a piece of yellow notebook paper attached to it too. And it was lit on or near highly flammable foams in the store, like a pillow. Okay. For instance. Or potato chips, apparently. That just really freaks me out. I know, the oil. The gross. oil on potato chips is that flammable. <laughs> well, I mean, just cooking oil is flammable. Yeah, right. In addition to this calling card and send the air device, the pillow pyro would all also sometimes set small fires on grassy hills near the retail shop where he started the big fire. So it would distract firefighters for a little bit. Oh my God. It's fucked. This guy's on a mission. I know. 
Obviously, California is prone to wildfires, but these fires had the exact same MO. I oh, my mean, God. I bet he's gotten off on the most recent years. If <laughs> yeah. yeah. Arsonists are very hard to catch, though. They typically act alone, and most of the evidence ends up being destroyed by the fire. Because of this, John started doing his own research into the minds of arsonists and studying the psychology so he could, like, try to stay on the trail. Mm -hmm. He published several articles, hosted training seminars, and his insight was widely sought and suspected arson fires from all over, even outside of his jurisdiction. That's why he was requested at Albert Albertson's Market and Ollie's Home Center. During the weekend of January 13th, through the 16th of 1987, seven fires burned throughout Central California in Fresno, Tulare, and Bakersfield. Wow. The first was at a drugstore in Fresno, and it started with a sleeping bag display. Uh, then, yeah. across the street at a fabric store, another fire broke out. This seems catchable. I'm I like, let's well, just see who is at both. I know, but the MO is doing it while people are in the store, a bunch of people are in the store while it's open and with a device that takes 10 to 15 minutes to really do anything. So like you just casually walk out, you're not stressed. A I guess you don't have, there. I know, but I guess you don't have a surveillance back then, but I'm like, let's just see who's in both. There's a common denominator here and that's a person. Yeah. yeah. So then in the, in the nearby town of Tulare, same thing, fire broke out at a drugstore, followed by a fabric store on the small little town. And he's not buying anything at these stores. There's no traceable evidence of like, well, again, let's see who went to all these stores. I'm sure. I, just, not. I actually don't know, but if you paid in cash. Yeah, I know. What can, what can you do? Mm -hmm. In Bakersfield, which is also nearby, a fire broke out in a display of dried flowers in a craft shop. That I don't know what the details of the other two were. That was five. All were expected to be from the pillow pyro because all four fires, they found the incendiary device, cigarette, blah, blah, blah. But the one at the craft shop in Bakersfield, for some reason, didn't ignite all the way. And it had the yellow notebook paper. So they were able to get a partial fingerprint from that. Oh, okay. They ran it through the criminal database. No hits. What was interesting about these fires, though, is that there was a convention for fire investigators in Fresno during the fires. So the Bakersfield fire captain was certain it was someone targeting firefighters, like had some sort of vendetta mm -hmm. and wanted to mess with them when they're all together, three fires start. Or it could be an actual firefighter. That's what I was thinking. He reached out to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, the ATF, to tell them this theory, but nothing came of it. They're like, cute. Someone's doing research. <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna hang your research on the fridge, Mister. <laughs> this is going right up there. Two years later, in March 1989, during another fire investigator convention in Pacific Grove, several similar fires broke out. During the all of these fires, again, incendiary device found. The Bakersfield fire captain, his name's Marvin Casey. I don't think I said that before, but. He couldn't shape these, his theory that it may be someone attending these conventions, which is made up of investigators, firefighters, cops, everyone. Yeah. So he requested the list of att attendees at both conventions and narrowed it down to 10 who, were at, who went to both of them. Mm -hmm. He reached back out to the ATF and asked them to compare the partial fingerprints of the list of 10 people. Anyone with a public safety job has to submit their fingerprints and they're saved in a separate database from the criminal one. Mm-hmm. So ATF was like, fine, get off our backs. We'll yeah. do it. They did it. No hits. 
In June 1990, a huge fire in Glendale broke out, destroying 67 homes. Oh, it's my God. A miracle. No one died. There no. were injuries, but no one died. Wow, that is a miracle. In November 1991, a fire at Warner Brothers Studio on the set of the TV show The Waltons broke out. I don't remember The Waltons. Mm. I think it was pretty famous. Um, all, of, all of which, again, works of the pillow para. My God. At this point, a task force is made up of ATF agents and L.A. arson investigators, and it was called the Pillow Pyro Task Force. They decided to run the fingerprint again, hoping that by now they would have a hit. This time they ran it through the L.A. Hall of Justice database, which was apparently a lot more comprehensive, goes through every fingerprint, criminal, public safety, didn't matter. Okay, great. In 1991, the technician running the scan called them to reprimand the investigators for sloppy evidence gathering. She told them that they needed to be more careful because the incendiary device with the partial fingerprint had been contaminated. The one fingerprint they had. I love that she called to reprimand them. Excuse me. She was like, y'all almost had it, didn't you? But then you fucked it up because... Here, let me get on the case. <sighs> yeah. They're like, what? How? Well, sorry, because at that point, the usually the cigarette, the matches, all that were charred. It was like yeah. the one uh -huh. thing. So they're like, oh, are you kidding me? How? And they said, she told them that she picked up a fingerprint from the now renowned arson investigator, John Orr. They said, John Orr wasn't at that scene. There's <gasps> no way he could have contaminated it. Unless he started it. Hey. They said, okay, that's our suspect. <gasps> oh my God. And she's like, you idiots. The only fingerprint on this one is the highly rated arson yeah. investigator, John Orr. Who we all love. And they're like, no, bitch, you're the fucking idiot. Because <laughs> he wasn't even at that scene. He's never even seen that device. <laughs> yes, he has. Because he made it. <laughs> no, bitch, sit down, shut up, go get me a coffee. <laughs> when I want your opinion, I'll take my dick out of your mouth. <laughs> Oh, um, my God. I'm just kidding. I actually don't know if it was even a woman. I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This whole time we've been riffing on degrading women. And here you are, not even sure it's a woman. So they're like, oh, that's interesting. So they start surveilling him and even put a tracking device under his car. Wait, you idiot. They said it was an electrical fire. And you're the one who's like, no, 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 no. There's definitely an arsonist. Trust me. You could have gotten away with all of it. No, he didn't want to. We'll, we'll get into that. Oh, my God. The very beginning, they said electrical fire in the attic. And here you are being like, no, no, no. You're an idiot, John. Okay. You, ju you just wait. Okay. So they put a tracking device under his car, and they learned that he was going to a training course in San Luis Obispo. And given the fires happened all near conventions, that he was at both of those, by the way, they were like, this is how we're going to catch him. So John drove up to the convention while unknowingly being followed by several unmarked cars and a helicopter. John got to his hotel without incident, but the next day an agent followed him to a nearby drugstore. When he left, the agent went in and got the receipt and he had bought two packs of Marble Lights. Mm. Knowing that he was not a smoker, they were like, okay, he's for sure going to start a fire. 24 of them, actually. Shockingly, he didn't. But he also never took a smoke break. And again, they knew he was not a smoker. Yeah. 
The next day was the last day of the training course, and John walks out of his hotel to get in his car when the surveilling agents watch him hesitate. He notices something under his car. <gasps> the antenna Dude. from the, the antenna from the tracking device is sticking out. Still, even so, I'd be like, oh, do-do-do, just a car part. An antenna? <laughs> An antenna. God, this guy is a good investigator. I'll tell you what. Can you, the panic. They were like, holy shit, we're caught. But that's a, sh that alone that he noticed it is shocking. An antenna sticking out from under your car. Think, this is 1991. That antenna was probably five feet long. <laughs> this big. This thick. It was it was bunny ears with aluminum foil attached to them. <laughs> You're <laughs> you probably right. Well, had he not committed a crime, like had I not committed a crime, I wouldn't notice it. But if I were a serial arsonist, I'd be like, oh shit, 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 they're on to me. So yeah, maybe that played into it. But no, I don't think I'd notice. I really don't. <laughs> well, yeah, you probably wouldn't. <laughs> what a bitch. This episode brought to you by Progressive. Whether you're driving, cooking, or doing laundry, Progressive knows the podcasts you listen to go best when they're bundled with another activity. Much like how their Progressive home and auto policies go best when they're bundled. Having these two policies together makes taking care of your insurance easier and could help you save too. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save over $775 on average. That's a whole lot of savings and protection for your favorite podcast listening activities, like going on a road trip, cooking dinner, and even hitting the home gym. Yep, your home and your car are even easier to protect when you bundle your insurance together. Find your perfect combo. Get a home and car insurance quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $779 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Not available in all states. Then bizarrely, he doesn't touch it. He gets in his car and drives off and they're like, what? Mm. So they follow him and he drives to the San Luis Obispo Police Department. When he leaves, the agents go in they're like, identify themselves, obviously, tell them what's going on and learn that John told the lieutenant that there was a bomb under his car. And he asked where the nearest explosive disposal range was saying he could do it himself. He was in law enforcement. He, he understood the risk. They immediately called the, the disposal range because it's only two miles away. And they told the bomb sergeant on duty what they're up to, and what was what the John was about to get there. And they said, don't blow the cover. So when John got there, the sergeant told him that it was a fake bomb, probably put there by kids looking for a cheap thrill. But he said that John could leave it there so they could confirm it was fake. And John said, great. But before he left, he took pictures of it, including the tracking number on it. So the AT ATF was like, he can track that back to us. We're fucked. Yeah. So they determined that by the time he got there, he probably knew it wasn't a bomb. It was some sort of tracking device. And that the task force was hot on his trail because the rest of the time at the training course, he minded his P's and Q's, nothing happened. Can, is, are the pictures readily available online? I'll have to look. Okay. So I would like to see this five foot antenna come out from his car. It's so <laughs> noticeable to everyone but me. I don't know if it was five feet. I just I know you it. don't. But. <laughs> but it probably was. We just had such different reactions on that. I was like, oh, my God, he knows that. And you're like, what idiots? So I just like, Ooh, I didn't, I say, like I didn't say what idiots. I said, holy shit, I would my heart would stop if I were the surveilling agent. 
They keep surveilling him when he gets back to Glendale, but since John likely knows what's going on, there are no fires whatsoever. Their next step was pretty clever, though. They worked with the L.A. Fire Department, who put out a fake request for members of some committee that John was on to get new headshots for a publication. John said, sure. Mm -hmm. The task force took those pictures and used it in a photo lineup to show witnesses from various crime scenes, and several of them picked out John as like, oh, yeah, he was a customer, or, you mm -hmm. know, oh, yeah, I saw him. The next time his work car went in for routine service, they put yet another tracking device in it, but this was brand new, state-of-the-art. Most people didn't, didn't even know about it, even people in law enforcement. So it was hidden somewhere under his dashboard where there was no way he could find it, ah. and probably no antennas. Hopefully. It gave the task force John's location in 15-minute increments. So they also looked back at, at their records over the past year, and every single fire started by the Pillow Pyro, John was either working alone or was unaccounted for. By October 1991, as they were working on getting an indictment to arrest him, they got a search warrant. In the search, they find a 350-page manuscript called Points of Origin that John had been writing about, quote-unquote, a fictional firefighter who was secretly an arsonist in the L.A. area. The firefighter arsonist in the book became sexually aroused by the fires he started. Oh, God. And it had a lot of parallels with the real-life crimes. For instance, in the book, there was a fire in Pasadena at a Pasadena hardware store called Cal's in which the firefighter arsonist put a slow-burning incendiary device made up of a cigarette and a rubber band into polyurethane foam cushions, and it trapped several employees and two customers, a woman named Madeline and her three-year-old grandson, Matthew. Oh, wow. The, the real victim's name was Matthew. He was two, but... Yeah. With that, they used the extremely similar details of the manuscript against any holes within the real crimes, like Oli's, and yeah. reinvesting it, started reinvestigating it. They also found out new sketchy details. Apparently, when the firefighters got to Oli's home center that day, John beat them there and was taking pictures. He told them he was driving by and usually took pictures for training seminars. Hmm. Also, with the fire that broke out at Warner Brothers Studio, once it was contained, the fire captain called John to get his guidance. A lot of people did that. And John was like, oh, I'm in the area. So the captain was like, I'll meet you outside because Warner's is huge. And he was like, oh, you're not gonna know where to go. So the captain goes to meet him and waits for 10 minutes, and John's a no-show. So he's like, all right. So he goes back to the scene, and John's there. Oh. He was like, how did you know where to go? But he was like, oh, Didn't yeah. I wanted his help. Good to go. Right. Sketchy as hell. Yeah. Because the tracking device only reported in 15-minute in intervals, he was near a lot of the crimes, but the Warner Brothers one, they could place him pretty much there. Mm-hmm. At 2 p.m. the day after Warner Brothers, that fire, a former L.A. fire captain was at an intersection in Glendale and saw John in the car next to him. This captain was one of the very few people who knew that John was the suspect. And so when John looked over and saw him, they like kind of tooted their horns to like acknowledge like, hi. Yeah. And then they both turned separate ways. Fifteen minutes later, the captain sees a column of smoke filling the sky in the direction that John turned. <laughs> Oh, my God. I can't believe it took this lab technician to point him out. <laughs> well, that, uh, I mean, that's she, they, they got his fingerprint. I mean, like, she was just called. She could have called to say, hey, tell your investigator not to contaminate evidence or, hey, we got him. It's John Orr. Either way. Yeah, she was going to find it no matter what. I know. That's not what I'm saying. 
I'm just saying, like, with all these coincidences, I can't believe oh. it even took hard evidence. I'd be like, this is sketchy. He's oh, everywhere. Yeah. It, when when it started, when it was placed in people's minds, that's when that stuff started coming out. But he yeah. had the reputation of being so dedicated. He, like, essentially drove around looking for who needed help. Like, he was just everywhere. Sure. So nine minutes after that, the column of smoke fills the the sky nine minutes after that another one fills the sky this, i have no doubt this is one of the occasions where he set a little brush fire to distract firefighters away from the real fire mm -hmm. so they were starting to get nervous that he was escalating beyond retail fires and starting starting more and more outside because the day as we know the damage of wildfires in california ooh, yeah it's big so they're like we need to act fast on December 4th, 1991, John was walking to his car for work and was arrested. There you he go. Den he denied involvement, blah, blah. They searched his car, house, and office, and in his work bag, they found cigarettes, matches, rubber bands, and yellow notebook paper. <laughs> and a note that said, I start fires. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and a note that said, it's me. <laughs> they also found a copy of a flyer about the pillow power that the task force had made, and pictures and videos of several of the Pillow Pyro's crime scenes, some of which were before pictures and videos. Wait, say it again. Pictures and videos of the Pillow Pyro's, the fires. Yeah. But also of the after, aftermath, the fire, the destroyed building. Mm -hmm. Some pictures of the befores. They're, so they're like, why do you have a picture of Oli's when it's totally fine, intact? What were you doing? He said, just a coincidence. No. Because they were, when they asked why he was taking pictures of fires, like before and after, he says for training seminars. Oh my God, this is like his porn. It's like the building intact is the dressed woman and the fire, build, the building in, on fire is the undressed woman. He just yeah. gets off to it. That yeah. is crazy. He said he used all those items for training purposes, the cigarettes, rubber bands, to show how like normal household items, normal common items can be quickly developed into fire starters and the before shots were just a coincidence mm. for what this is a building not on fire what's right. the what's the training purpose <laughs> here it is after it was destroyed right okay thank you between 1992 and 1994 john had three trials for various arson fires due to lack of evidence he was acquitted on a few of them but was convicted at the very end, convicted of 26 counts of arson and four counts of first-degree murder for the Oli's fire, mm -hmm. which in an estimated 2,000 fires started by him, I'm shocked there were only one of them had fatalities. Right. Because was that his goal, I assume? Because he had always started with people inside. He wanted dead? No. Just the, <laughs> just the thrill? Just the thrill. God. So, well, and I'll get there in a minute, but... He he faced the death penalty, but ended up getting four life terms for the murders with no possibility of parole, plus 20 years for the arson. The reason he didn't get the death penalty is because his daughter, Lori, gave a testimony essentially begging them not to kill her dad. And in 2018, she wrote an article for A&E called My Firefighter. <sighs> Imagine if I'd read this as a source at the beginning. Mm -hmm. My firefighter father, John Orr, got sexual thrills from his murderous arson. It's quite the title. Can you imagine? But she said in that article, he could not have cared less that she did that. No, thank you. No, not that he, he, 
her testimony really meant nothing. <gasps> so he's, he's now what a dick. He's horrible. So he's now in a California state prison for the rest of his life. He's still maintaining. No, he still maintains his innocence. But check out the stat. After he started as a firefighter in Glendale, brush fires and arson fires in the area increased in the hundreds. And after his arrest, it dropped by more than 90%. Oh, my God. That insane. So in his manuscript, which is fiction. Sure. The arsonist. Like fictional book. Yes. If I did the, it. The arsonist got off on watching these fires. Literally. Ew. It was just a... a a thrill to get recognition. He talks about how like it's really cool that he's the only one that knows what's going on. These idiots can't figure it out. But and so that's why he was really mad that Oli's was marked as an electrical fire because he was like, "No, I want my secret fame for that. Yeah, yeah, I want the credit." Damn. So that that's the story of one of the most world-renowned arson investigators who was behind all of it. God. And I'll tell you, Rebecca, well, when I first heard this, I'm like, this sounds bad, but arson is not interesting to me. That's what I first thought as well. But I was like, oh. At the beginning the guy, of this episode. The guy <laughs> investigating. The guy investigating is in charge of it. I mean, responsible for it. And then I read into the investigation with the ATF and I was like. No, I, that's I just, good. That stuff. I was like, I can't. Then he spots the tracking device. And so they work with. I just LAFD to make a fake call for new headshots. And I'm like, oh, I love this shit. And because he wanted the recognition, he's because he would have gotten away with it. They said, oh, it was an electrical fire. He could be like, so sweet. I got off. It was the biggest fire I've, I've ever done. Killed people. And I got away with it. But no, and he, he needed the, it. The only reason they even had a pillow pyro per name to the criminal was because he kept finding the incendiary device yeah <laughs> no one else could find it you could have usually been like i don't know what it was but no it was like he wanted the fame yeah even though he couldn't you know he out himself sick. as the lunatic poor ada poor matthew poor those two employees awful i know poor caroline and jimmy yeah it's terrible yeah you know you're right that was a good one i was i was pessimistic when I heard Pyro, and I'm like, oh, oh. what are we talking about here? But I know, same, but I like the investigation behind it. Uh huh. Ooh, we're going to call the bomb sergeant. Hey, someone's about to come in there. Pretend that that's a bomb. I okay, love, cool. I love when people work together. I love it. What I love is that? It. Someone just texted me, a friend just said, what's the best Dateline episode? <laughs> I get texts like that a lot. And I'm like, that's a lot of pressure. There's been 147 seasons and 154 episodes per season. So can't do you, that to me. Can't you do, do that, that to me. Just throw one out. Be like, oh my God, season 87, episode <laughs> 45. Roll the dice. <laughs> like, I don't know. How am I supposed to answer that? Hmm. I I mean, I can't. I'll think of one. Wow. Good one, Rach. All right. See y'all next week. Thank y'all. Y'all are the best. People are the worst. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.